Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to my podcast, Heavenly Places. And I am your host, Jameer, and I'd like to thank Dorothy Carruthers for uh, inviting me to do the podcast or the uh, blog talk on the blog talk. And we're going to once again continue uh, in Chapter 3 of the book, Manifest Destiny, The Path Towards Wisdom. And let me open up in prayer. Uh, uh, Father, we thank you for your revelation. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us direction and guidance, Father. Lead us this evening, Father Lord. Give us instruction, O God, Lord, on um, the teaching this evening. Help me, Father, to to hear from you clearly, Father, and help me to receive from you. Help the listeners to receive from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this evening we're talking uh, about the three L's where we left off on. The title of the book is uh, Knowing Love. And the three L's that we're going to focus on is, of course, love, light, and life. Love and life. And we'll start off uh, with light, the first L. Um, and we're going to examine how these uh, three, light, life, and love, they're, they're uh, very uh, interchangeable, and they're just basically different aspects of what love is. So when there is an absent, uh, absence of light, there is only darkness. <clears throat> there, excuse me. There is not only darkness, but also there is uh, an absence of love. So wherever you don't have uh, light, not only is it dark, but you also don't have love there. And this is we're talking about from a a spiritual perspective. And that is uh, the scripture to support that is 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. And they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So these people are in darkness because they don't have any love within them. So where there's no love, we will find ourselves walking in darkness. Now, and as I examined the scriptures, I was uh, studying on that word light. And actually, uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar, when the first time uh, the word light is actually used is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where our Father says, let there be light. And from this scripture, we get a a very great clue from scripture that... uh, about light, because we we ourselves we are uh, familiar with we we see light all the time, and we we see it in our lamps, flashlights, on television. The light comes through, um, even in the morning when we wake up, or depending on when we wake up, we we see the early sunrise, and we see light. But it's uh, so common for us to see light; it's easy for us to take light for granted. But um, if we look back here into Genesis, we have to remember that. Uh, there was a time when this planet, this planet was in complete darkness. It was actually absence of light, absence of light. And we see that uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, right before our father said, let there be light. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we we see that there's a moment or this time frame where um, where the earth is in darkness. 
Now, Scripture doesn't record how long this earth was in darkness. Uh, we have theologians, they debate the time, and some, some say it's only days it was in darkness, and some say there was millions or billions of years of darkness. But really, no one really knows the uh, specific time that the earth was in darkness. But we do know that it was in darkness. Now, just just imagine that feeling of being on Earth at that time when it was uh, in darkness, and you can kind of think about it in your mind. Um, if you're looking up to the sky, you see what nothing but darkness. You won't see any moon, no sun, no stars. And if you're looking forward, guess what? You see darkness. So it's almost like you really in this darkness. You won't be able to discern or tell up from down, left from right, because everywhere you look, you only see darkness. And in darkness, you in uh, darkness is a feeling of confusion, or where you're disoriented. Um, when you're in darkness, you have no vision, you have no purpose, you have no life, and you have no direction. So that's what darkness is. Um, many years ago, I took a, a trip to uh, Times Square in Manhattan, New York. And uh, I had actually never been there before, and it was there was so many things going on there. I mean, people of different nations, ethnicities, and different languages were being spoken. Spoken. It was so much stuff to look at, you know. I mean, it was vendors, people selling stuff on the side of the street. If you ever been there, people was painting, people was dancing. Uh, there was music going on. Police was everywhere, and it kind of looked like. Uh, just like a chaos or a big mess, but it was very, very organized. Everyone was doing their own little thing. And uh, as I begin to look up around, of course, I've seen the sky, but then I started noticing down there in Times Square, you have all these illuminated jumbotrons, billboards. They have flashing colors. It was advertising things. Um and they were, like, on the side of the building, like skyscrapers, you know. And each one of them had a different image, and all of them was telling their different stories. And even at nighttime, because I was up there at nighttime also, even when it was very dark up there on, on Times Square, it was still very bright because of all the light <clears throat> that was going on. But uh, during the daytime, earlier during that day, I actually seen something that was, it was odd to me. I seen a blind man. He was walking down the street, and he didn't have any escort. Of course, he had, like, his uh, walking stick with him. And I watched him walk nearly a block until he disappeared into everything that was going on. Because I was kind of, there was so much stuff going on. But I watched him navigate himself down the street. And the blind man, he couldn't see all the things that I was seeing. He couldn't see the skyscrapers or the light. To him... Everything was darkness. It, but yet, he was able to navigate his way through everything that was happening on those streets. I mean, the noise, the painting, the dancing, the everything. So even in this blind man, in his own individual darkness, there was no confusion. He had direction. He had a purpose. And this blind man, he was walking in darkness in one of the most illuminated places on earth. I mean, it, Times Square is known to be one of the brightest places on earth with all, everything that was going on. <clears throat> but um, not even this blind man, even though he was walking in darkness, he he wouldn't be able to comprehend or understand this darkness of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that once dwelt on this earth. You know, uh, in uh, Genesis 27, there was a man that's uh, recorded of a story, y'all may be familiar with it, with a man who lost his eyesight. And he was about to die, so his uh, his, his story goes, he asked his favorite son to prepare a special meal for him. And he told his son, he told his son he would bless him once he feed him. But the father didn't know that his wife was listening and she overheard the conversation, and she wanted to go get her favorite son to prepare a special meal. 
So when this second son returned, the wife cooked up the meal and disguised her favorite son as the firstborn. And the second son bought the meal and received the blessing because of father's inability to see light. He was deceived in a way into blessing his second son. And this right here, we see the power of darkness. It can uh, be deceiving. It can bring down confusion. And this man, the portion of the man was the Isaac. Um, when uh, scripture, whenever it refers to darkness, we had to think about it more than just the physical inability to see because scripture points to a deeper truth to a spiritual darkness and its many manifestations. Um, in fact, uh, scripture uses darkness as a, a symbol of evil and not just a symbol of evil, but a, but uh, something that we must fight. We must fight darkness. Ephesians six twelve says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world. There you go, a dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So darkness is something that we as believers, children of the Most High, we must fight this darkness. All right. So we know, like, in physical darkness, you know, there's an example, like, I give this, uh, the opportunity for uh, being deceived, like Isaac, was, he was deceived. But uh, just imagine the consequences of walking in a spiritual darkness. It's much greater. And I was uh, actually studied this uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, um, on this uh, darkness. And... Um, and I began to wonder, uh, well, why was this, was this darkness here? And it brought me into a very, very deep study, and some might even say controversial. But if, if you look at this uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and if you look at the Hebrew translation of the words, actually, let me go ahead and read it, read it to you, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay, but using the uh, original Greek words, this scripture can actually be rendered a different way, which uh, gives us a, a different aspect or a deeper truth to this Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And it's the Hebrew expression, you may be familiar with it, tohu wabahu, and that is, you spell it tohu, T-O-H-U, Y W A W, Bahu, B O H U, and I might be pronouncing it wrong. I'm, I'm really not a Hebrew expert, but Tohu Wabahu, and which is commonly rendered in this passage right here is was void. So we see that the earth was formless and was void. However, it can be also translated. Instead of was, it can be translated as became void. And clues from other passages in scripture reinforce became void interpretation. So, for instance, uh, in that same chapter, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, our father, he actually commands Adam. He tells Adam to replenish and or other translation says refill the earth. Now think about this. Why would the earth need to be replenished or refilled? Because when you use replenish or refill, to me this implies that something had previously filled the earth. Um, so something was previously there. And the word replenish, the same word replenish used in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty eight. Is also used in a very other familiar scripture. When God, <clears throat> when God, our Father, when He uh, when He commands or He tells Noah and His sons to replenish the earth after the flood, in Genesis chapter nine verse one, it says, "And the Father blessed Noah and his sons, and He said to them, Be fruitful 
and multiply and replenish the earth. So that's, again, to, to refill it again. Also, another very interesting scripture is all the way in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. That's Isaiah 45, verse 18. And it says, uh, For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, the God himself that formed the earth and made it, created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited, and I am the Lord, and there is none else. That's Isaiah 45, verse 18. But the key part of that um, scripture is it says that he created it not in vain. And when you look at the Hebrew expression or translation of that, the word vain can be rendered without form. So if our Father did not create the earth without form, how did it devolve to that state? Because Isaiah 45, 18 is saying that, that uh, our father, he, when he created the earth, did it have form, did it have, did it have purpose, did it have life? But we see in Genesis that it had devolved into this different state, and it was without form, but it was created with form. Um, even on, t- on top of this, uh, this scripture, you know, uh, becoming void, we have uh, the scientific information that uh, says that the earth was has been around for for a while, and scientific information is kind of key, but it's not as important as with these uh, verbs and. and and uh, Hebrew Hebrew words are telling us actually they're they're more important. Now the word tohu, the word tohu can also be translated confused, and bohu can be translated as void or empty. And the word YWW can be translated became. So Genesis one two actually could be wrote like this which makes more sense, but the earth became disarrayed and empty and darkness was upon the face of the earth. Now, there's, there are a whole lot of great teachings on that, that one right there, but we're mainly just focusing on the darkness, you know. But it's a, actually a teaching that has a few teachings. Uh, this teaching is that the gap theory that some people call that, but also... A gentleman by the name Henry W. Wright, um, he wrote a book called A, a More Excellent Way. Um, I think that's what it's called. But anyway, he has a teaching called Spirit World Realities by Henry W. Wright, and I encourage you to get get your hand on that teaching, a very powerful teaching about this Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Okay. <clears throat> But getting back to this light and darkness. Now, the earth is in this dark place. And the earth seems to be a place now without purpose or without destiny. But our Father in his mercy in Genesis 1-3 says, Let there be light. And there will be two lights, the lesser and a greater light. Now, light brings order through purpose. And one purpose of light was what? To separate day from night. So one light, the sun, ruled the day, and the other night, the moon, rules the night. Um, Light also serves as a uh, calendar, a way to measure time, days, weeks, months, minutes. Um, Farmers, you know, farmers, they use light to measure the seasons for harvesting and growing. Um, even astronomers, they use it to measure how much time has passed. Uh, explorers of the oceans have used it, especially in the light of the stars, to navigate the seas, like the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean. They use it. They actually use it to come over here to uh, the continent of North America. Um, actually, the uh, the Bible actually talks about uh, astronomers from times past and they used the stars to guide them to 
our Lord and Savior Jesus in a manger. manger. And we know that from the uh, very famous uh, Birth of Christ story, Christmas story, which is recorded. One of them is uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So we see light, the sun, the stars, these stars helping all, like the farmers, the explorers, the astronomers. Um, they give direction and purpose, you know. They help maintain order. That was not their only purpose. The the stars or light, you know, they also form constellations. Uh, divine images displayed in the sky. And we commonly refer to them and some uh, birth signs, you know. Like you have the Sagittarius, the Leo, the Cancer, types of things. And that's what we we call them zodiac symbols. But in ancient times, they were referred to as the. Cause I'm gonna pronounce this name wrong, <laughs> but it's the the Maseroth, and that's M A Z Z A R O T H. That's M A Z Z A R O T H, and that's actually in Job chapter thirty-eight, verse thirty-two. And this is our father actually talking to Job, and he says. Can you bring forth the constellations and their seasons or lead out the bear with his cubs? These these symbols, the zodiac, what they call them today, a lot of times people think they, they, they came from uh, human imagination. They are, they're, they're kind of like pagan, and they have distorted and twisted them to make them those things, but these symbols in the sky, they actually have a divine origin. Actually, um, James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So our Father, he doesn't change. And these uh, stars, they're gifts, heavenly lights, and they come down from him, you know. And um, actually one scripture to give an excellent example of that, besides James 1, chapter 17, is uh, Psalms 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of our Father. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, pour forth speech. Look at that. It says, it's talking about the skies. They pour forth speech, so they're saying something. It says, night after night, they display knowledge. It says, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. So no matter what language or dialect or country or Whatever it may be, these stars are saying something and they're telling something to us. As a matter of fact, Psalms 19 goes on to say their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So the whole world sees these things. Um, And again, like the Sagittarius, Libra, Taurus, and all of them. But they're actually prophetic messages foretelling what has come and and what is already to come. And actually, I mean, there are many excellent references for for that one. Um, One of the books that I I enjoyed was Witness of the Stars. That's what it's called, Witness of the Stars. And it's E.W. Bullinger who wrote it, B-U-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. They wrote it, and they go into very great detail. And but anyway, while we're um, we're just reading at these stars and the constellations, you can come to the conclusion that uh, they they're just up there. They 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 have no rhyme or reason. They're just they're just stick figures, or a really cool game of connect the dots. But um, to the discerning eye, the constellations they actually show the density of this planet 
and everything and everyone associated with it. Um, for example, the Sagittarius with this bow points to the scorpion. Scorpion. Uh, this is, the writer says, this is an image of Jesus destroying the enemy. Then there's a Capricorn, which is the half goat and half fish, which represents rep- is a representation of a type of church of those who have received eternal salvation because of Jesus serving as a great scapegoat or the great sacrifice. And these are the many, many symbols, you know. Um, it was about like six or seven years ago, um, you know, many of these ancient cultures, ancient cultures, they're very familiar with the signs and that they have meanings, but kind of we, we kind of uh, lost the connection with them. Uh, I think it was like back in 2010, 2011, somewhere around there, it was a big, big thing going on about the Mayan civilization, and they was talking about that how the Mayan calendar ended, and it was, or it was going to end at a certain time, and uh, I believe what what they seen with the with the Mayan sea was uh not the uh, end of the world, but they seen like an end of an era or an end of an age and the beginning of something new. But they didn't know what it was because they didn't have the word of scripture to go to. But um, I believe it's referring to uh, the purpose of the church going into going into the place and heavenly places and. Uh, doing things that our our Father has designed for us to do from the foundation of the world, you know. Um, and I got to, to thinking about that, but, you know, our, I know our enemy, Satan, I, I bet every time he looks up at those stars, that it just makes him cringe because these stars, they point to his soon defeat. And I know he just doesn't like it. Stars... And all their brilliance, you know, you know what? And the magnificent—I know I talked about about these stars and the light from the stars, but they're only a shadow compared to Him who dwells within you. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about just this. Listen to that—the lights and all their brilliance. I mean, some of these lights, the sun—I mean, they're from millions and billions of years away, but we can see the light. And they travel so fast, but in all these lights, I mean, if you was close to it, it would burn you up, you know. But all their brilliance and all their greatness and all their power is only a shadow compared to him, Jesus Christ, who dwells within you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, To them our Father has chosen to make them, <clears throat> to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he, Jesus Christ, he is, he is within us, and, and there's nothing comparable to that, you know. So what is the relationship between light and love? Now that we, we understand a little bit about light, John says that... uh. He who walks in a light loves his brother. Uh, that's First John two verse ten. But what does it mean to walk to walk in light? Does it mean only walking when the sun is out, or avoiding walking in shady places? What it means is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, you are not only walking in light but you are also walking in love. Um, it's like uh, driving down a freeway with two names. Do you ever drive down a freeway that has two names? Um, so, for example, it's this one street um, in, in uh, the Philadelphia area. They It's called Route 1. Route 1. Actually, uh, the GPS was saying Route 1. But uh, the signs on the street, they say Roosevelt. Boulevard. So before the GPS, I was like, okay, I always knew it was Roosevelt Boulevard. I know it was kind of Route 1, too, but it was saying it was two different street names, you know, um, two different street names. So uh, it kind of, like, confused me for a little bit. 
But uh, even though it's two different street names, they're both basically the same thing, and that's how light and love is. Um, actually, like how Jesus explains it in John chapter 3, verse 21, it says, but whoever lives in the truth comes to light so that it may be seen plainly that he has done, <coughs> he, that what he has done has been done through the Father. John 3, verse 21, it says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that whatever he has done has been done through the Father. Uh, basically, what that's saying is light is a manifestation of love. They're both on the same street. They've just got two different names. You know, while light, it has another purpose, a very uh, familiar purpose. Uh, light encourages growth. Um, for example, when green plants grow from sunlight, scientists call this uh, photosynthesis. Uh, plants, they basically, what they do, they convert the energy of light to fuel their development process. Um, you know, on one one occasion at the university where I worked at my office, we had two plants, and my assistant, she took care of the plants, and she watered them, and she placed them in the window by the light. And I never really ever paid any much attention to them. One day, um, she had uh, actually, she had got another job, and a good opportunity was presented with it. And basically, she left me to tend the plants because she, did, she uh, didn't take them. So I think it was about two weeks, and those plants were no longer green, but they were dead and brown. And I was unsure what I'd, I'd done wrong, really. I wrong, really, but as um, I was watering them frequently, but it occurred to me I forgot to place them in a the light, you know. So, and it didn't give them an opportunity to grow and mature. And this is one of the of course, all of them, but this is one of the most important purposes of, of, of light is that it encourages life to grow. And the church today is maturing not only in terms of quantity, but in quality. You know, the church today is, but a lot of times we don't see that, that it's not maturing and uh, quality and quantity. And um, that's because the church, for a very long time, you know, have been in a place where they lack that light and that love, where they've been in a place of darkness. And, and we see the results of this by the many deficiencies in the body of Christ. We see uh, that there's a lack of belief, hope, moral behavior, and obligation to be pleasing to our Father who loves us so greatly. Um, there is a lot of repentance for being caught walking in darkness, you know, but there's not much true repentance to dwell closer to the Father. It's our destiny to walk in the light so our Father may move through us. And if we don't, guess what? Something very bad is going to happen. Our destiny will be forfeited. And many will be forced to die in the wilderness, brought them out of their own personal promised land, you know. So that's why it's important for us to understand light and love and walk into it, you know. And this actually leads me to the, the second L, which is a life. And we know what life is. Basically, life means to exist. But beyond that, there's a far more abundant sense of the word. Uh, the prodigal son, the son story, the prodigal son, he was living, but he didn't have life. Not the kind of life our, our father or his father desired for him. There was a time when I really didn't understand, when I was much younger, of course, didn't understand the difference between existing and living. Um for many years, I, I lived on Earth without life. I was, I wasn't living. I was walking around aimlessly, and even though I had salvation, I I possessed eternal salvation, but I didn't possess the earthly victory that goes along with that life. 
even though it was always in within reach. And that's how many believers are today. We we're just walking around aimlessly. We have eternal life, we have salvation, but we don't have we're not we don't have that life that our father wants us to have. And sometimes it takes some for something for us to happen in our lives for us to realize that, you know. Um, for me it was uh it was it was life hit kinda hitting me hard, you know, I was uh working at uh a fast food restaurant, playing video games, kinda like not really doing anything purposeful with my life, you know. And I found myself I found myself uh actually it was at my second job I was working, I was cutting grass in this little complex I stayed in. And I was I was cutting the grass. Actually, I had to uh, hedge hedge uh, like the big scissors. I can't remember what the weed whackers in my hand. And I was kind of clipping the bushes. And I kind of looked up and I seen a cop car. And the uh, I seen the officers. They was kind of looking at me, but I didn't pay attention to them. Police officers. So I just continued to do what I do was doing was working and cutting these uh, bushes. I'm telling you, it was like less than five minutes later. It was like me surrounded by officers. <laughs> you know what? I'm surrounded by them. Um, I'm a young black male in inner city and then I'm surrounded by all these officers. Um, and the only thing I thought I was, was I was about to get beat down because I've seen so many images on television. You know, they took the, the head clippers out of my hand and they was about to put the handcuffs on me and arrest me and they had the billy clubs out and guns out and then I was fortunate enough to my aunt, my aunt Betty, she actually lived across the street and she heard the sirens and she rushed over and she said to the, uh, the police officers, that you have the wrong guy, you have the wrong guy. And they were like, no, we not. This is a guy because actually I was in, in front of the house of uh, cutting the uh, yard. In front. I didn't, I didn't realize that the person was a, a drug dealer who stayed at the house. I was, I was, that was my job to cut all the, the houses in that area. So I didn't have my ID on me, so there was no way I could prove my identity. But my aunt, she went to my house because I lived very close, got my ID, and was able to prove my identity. But uh, later on, we uh, she uh, actually spoke with me and said, uh, she said, uh, Jamil, one day... Um, one day that sky right there up in the sky is gonna crack. You know, right now you just you just living, you know. But you're not you're not living a life. And that right there just has really just stuck with me. It's like, uh, what am I doing with my life? So a few months later I actually found myself in a in a men's homeless shelter. Living there, even though I had a home. <laughs> so I'm living in a homeless shelter even though I had a home. That's because in my mind I felt homeless. I felt lifeless. And I lived in the homeless shelter for months. I ate the same food with them. I was working and volunteering at the same place as they were doing. And I was searching. I didn't realize I was searching for life and purpose. And I never imagined I would find it in the homeless shelter. I mean, I was amongst former drug dealers and gangbangers and prostitutes. And I'm, I'm just me, just average, average old little person <laughs> up in there. But during that process, during that time, actually they had a uh, printed on the paper on several of the walls uh, P three five, the letter P and the number thirty five. And anytime anyone got out of line or they lost their focus, they would point to that that sign that says. P thirty five, or they would say P three five. It actually stands for a scripture. It was a Proverbs three, verse five. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding." And I, I watch men of all ages, of all struggles and ethnic backgrounds, find life through that truth, through that little paper that hung on the wall, through that scripture, through that word, and I. Through that little paper, I've seen families restored. I've, I've seen men break addictions. And for me, it affected me so much that I, that I was no longer just living, but I had life. 
you know, I, I had life and I was used to disappointment for a long time, you know, but during that time I, I found life and it was just amazing to me. It was like a, a time of victory, you know, I was alive and victorious. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story. I'm pretty sure you are. When Peter and Andrew, remember before they encountered Jesus, they were just ordinary fishermen. They were doing their daily routine, uh, probably fixing their nets, walking the sea and casting, casting them. And they did this every day. Maybe their father taught them this trade or maybe it was something that was passed, of course, passed down for generation to generation. But Peter and Andrew, they desired more. But from where? So one day they were fishing and Jesus came their way. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And from scripture, it says they didn't hesitate. Basically, they set aside everything else. And these men went from performing, went on to perform to perform many great exploits for our father. I mean, Peter, he walked on water. They, they healed people with it. He healed people with his shadow. Uh, they witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They, uh, and they had basically at the, um, as their life progressed and their uh, fellowship with the father and Jesus progressed, they had what Jesus called in John chapter 8, verse 12, the light of life. It says, uh, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. That's our first John chapter 3, verse 14. And when love is present, guess what? Life will eventually manifest. Remember what happened when Christ died on the cross? death, but love penetrated through death. And this manifested what? Life. And guess what? Many saints rose from the dead on that day that our Lord was crucified. They passed from death to life. Uh, Matthew 27 verse 52 says, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. This is an example of love manifested in life. And just think that that is only the beginning of what love will do. There are people who are spiritually dead, people with dead parts in their body, people who are dead in their mind. Did you know? And our Father has destined you to speak those things to life. You know what? I, I believe there's no accident that you're listening, that you were born in this generation. Because your destiny and the destiny of those connected and surrounded with you, it hinges on light, life, and love. Um, last would be about the uh, prodigal son. You know, I want to I want to talk about him a little bit. So we had the prodigal son. He was pig and he was hungry. He said, "Maybe I can eat these these pies, these pig pies, or pig food." But then he thought about, um, well, my father's servants, they eat better than him, so I'm going to go back to my father's house. So now we have him, the son, going back to the father. And we have the father. And he, the scripture says that the father in Luke chapter 15, that he, he was standing there looking expectantly and just waiting for his son. He was waiting for his son. Maybe he knew something. He had uh, butterflies in his stomach uh, and joy overtook him because it says that he saw his son from afar off and he ran towards his son. You know what? I bet each step that he took was filled with love and compassion. And when he was within arm's length of his son, guess what? He showered him with hugs. Hugs and kisses, and the father he was not concerned about all the lost money, nor did he even care about what his son smelled like from hanging out with the pigs. And the prodigal son, this is what he said: He said, "Father, forgive me, for I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Only make me a servant." And you know how the father responds. <laughs> and the father quickly 
demolished those words by telling his son, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, by telling his servants to bring the best robe, <clears throat> place a ring on his finger, and put sandals on his feet. And this sent a message to all that no matter what the son had done, he was still the father's son, and the father still loved him the same. You know, love, it manifests in different ways. I once saw my mother pull a, a pet bull off of her grandson because she loved him. I seen my father shower his, grand, shower his grandchildren with gifts. Those are two different ways that love manifests. Many of us know what it means to experience a, a Savior who died for us. So there's any life, but abundant life, like John 10, 10. Um, love awaits us all. You know, love is just waiting for us. The love for the Father is waiting for us. Just just like a father awaited for the son to return, for the prodigal son to return, he was waiting. But the, the key is for us is how do we respond to the Father's love? You know what? The older brother's response to love was, remember the older brother, he was jealous and he was accusations. He said, Father, you have given him everything and I have received nothing and I have always obeyed you. Now the older son, he was faithful and he had worked hard on the farm. You know, many farmers, they work from sunrise to sunset. And my older son said, I have never transgressed your commands. Um, the 1529 says, uh, actually it says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, this is how the son is responding to the father, or in particular to the father's love. You know what his response was? The law, L-A-W, the law brings what? Condemnation, according to Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? So the older son condemned his little brother. The older son viewed him, the older son viewed himself as unworthy. He said to the father again, you never gave me anything. The father responded by saying, guess who the son, the father said, son, everything I have is yours. Luke chapter 15, verse 31. The son never, the older son, never experienced with the father, the love of the father was willing to give because the uh, older son, he didn't feel himself worthy. Maybe he didn't feel like he worked hard enough. And additionally, the older brother, brother was angry because, in his mind, not only was he unworthy, but his brother, the prodigal son, was even less worthy than he was. <clears throat> it's as if he was saying, not only am I unworthy of the father's love, but you are also. And he was just using his own measuring system for both. Now, the problem with the older son was that he didn't know how to respond to the love. He didn't know the heart of the father. The older son, or yeah, the older son, the older brother, could have had more benefits than he was taking. He could have had the party, the goat, the robe, and the ring, but something within him was preventing him from taking that love. Something within him was preventing him from taking that love. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there something within you pre preventing you from acquiring the blessings of our Father? Is there something within you? You know, both the sons, they had the same problem when it came to responding to the love of the Father. Neither the younger nor the older son felt worthy of the love of the Father. None of them feel worthy. Remember what the younger son said to himself? He said, I am not worthy to be your son, so please treat me like your servant. 
In Luke 15, verse 19, so in spite of being surrounded by such great love and compassion, he felt unworthy, and he manifested that reality in his actions. And many believers feel unworthy because we don't value ourselves. We behave in ways that works against our Father blessings because we don't know who our Father says we are. And often we feel unworthy of our Father's love, so we will not accept anything related to his goodness. And that's why sometimes we feel we don't deserve the best career, spouse, children, or whatever good occurs in our life. But our Father says that his children deserves the best. You know, um, just thinking about this, uh, I remember Christmas, early Christmas, you know, um, my father and mother, I mean, I had to be seven or eight years old, very young. And there were so many presents for me under the Christmas tree, but guess what? I didn't feel like I deserved any of those gifts. And I don't even know why. (laughs) Some of them I, I didn't even really want to play with. But I could have had so much more fun with that fire truck and those boxing figures and a and a radio, but something in me said I was unworthy. You know, remember the the uh, great apostle Peter. A lot of us he suffered from the same feeling of being unworthy. It says when uh, he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and this is uh, Jesus talking. He said. Put into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And so we see Jesus had just shown his power and love. Uh, Simon, Peter, they caught so many fish that the boat began to sink. And how did Peter respond to this love? Peter, guess what Peter did? Peter fell down on his knees and attempted to chase Jesus away. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinner. You know, instead of receiving the blessings with praise and thanksgiving, Peter. And we should not respond like Peter. Actually, that's a response to the devil. Because we should not respond the way that the devil responds to our father. Because when the glory and love of our father comes into our lives, guess what the devil does? He runs away. As children of the most high, when his glory falls from heaven, when the father's love falls from heaven, we should embrace it. Um, Another occasion is in Luke chapter 22. Uh, when Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus had told him, <clears throat> Jesus told him that he was going to deny him before the rooster crowed. And when the third denial came out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, Jesus, standing on trial before the leaders of the Jews, turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus had predicted. And he went off and wept. Bitterly. How do you think Peter felt? Once again, Peter had failed. And I bet when Jesus turned and looked at Peter, it was not with eyes of anger and condemnation, but with eyes of knowledge and love. Peter ran because not many people know how to respond to such a tremendous love. On the other hand, let's look at the disciple. John, and he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And this disciple wrote how he would even lean on Jesus at the Last Supper. Why is it that the other disciples didn't lean on Jesus? Was it because John was his favorite? No. Anyone could have leaned on him. Peter didn't know to do this. But John's response to love was to accept it, change his life. Responding to our Father is not about so much what we think. It's about what we know. When our Father offers something, we should always accept it. 
I have a friend who said uh, he couldn't get saved because he wasn't prepared to live a holy life. You know, in a sense, he was right. Our Father loves us infinitely, but often we respond like the prodigal son and spend his love on prodigal living. And this is not what our Father desires. But the truth is that the gift of salvation is for everyone from all walks of life. And the gift of salvation is the gift of love, uh, John 3.16. One thing, and I, I mentioned this last week, but one thing you must realize about love, holiness, righteousness, and even perfection is that these are all gifts from the Father. That we, these are not things we earn or do. You don't accept them. <clears throat> I'm sorry. You accept the fact that you're perfect. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 48 says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, you accept the fact that you're holy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.16 says, be holy because I am holy. When you accept these things, they build themselves into your life and give themselves out through you to others. For example, when you accept holiness, you give out holiness in the day. When you accept the fact that you're righteous, you show righteousness in your life. You know how the angels in heaven respond to our Father's gifts? They receive it. Romans, I mean, I'm sorry, Revelations 4 8. Revelations 4 8 says, Did the angels call the Lord holy and worthy? In Revelation 4 8. And truly he is. But why are they saying this? Is it because uh, our Father needs to be reminded and has forgotten who he is? Maybe our Father is so stuck on himself that he requires the angels to say this. No, no, that's not the reason at all. The main reason they say this because it is true, because when you stand before the presence of your Father, you can only speak truth. However, with our Father, there are so many benefits. When the angels ascribe these attributes to our Father, they also produce them in their daily lives. So when they are telling the Lord how holy he is, they begin to show holiness in all that they do. When they bless the Lord, they begin to be blessed and they bless others. Parable of the prodigal son. You know what the father waited for? He was not waiting for the son to come back and say, I want to be your servant. He didn't want to hear, want to hear talk of favoritism. The father wanted to know if his sons loved him. He wanted to hear them both say, I love you, Father. I love you, Dad. When we respond correctly to the Father's love, we can say like John, I am the disciple who Jesus loves. This is where you accept instead of trying to earn. You know, after Jesus died on the cross and and came back to minister to Peter, in John chapter uh, 21, verse 15, he asked Peter, do you love me? Now, be sure that Jesus knows what we are thinking, and he knows what is on our hearts. So why did he ask what he already knew? Why did he ask that? He already knew that Peter loved him. Because there, there's nothing that sounds more beautiful to your father than to hear his children respond to his love by saying, I love you. How can you say I love you to your father? For each of us, I mean, besides saying it, it's a different action. And I can't tell you what it is, but you you can only find it within you, you know. And that's the end of the teaching tonight of uh, light, life, and love. And no one love and no one the love of your father and I, I hope you uh, were able to to get something out of this and able to understand the the manifestations of life, life and love. And um, I want to challenge you to to respond to whatever the father has presented before you this week or even at this moment to him and love. Um, uh, Dorothy, are you there? Yes, I am. That was excellent. Um, excuse yes. me. Yes. 
That was really, uh, I enjoyed that. I I hope everyone else enjoyed it. You know, I love the way you That's one of my favorite chapters. Yeah. It's just, you just go on, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then it's like you haul back and punch us with a reality and truth. And it's like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> I just, that's that's what Holy I call Spirit. it, down to earth. Yeah, down to earth teaching. You, you don't have to rant and rave. You don't have to holler. You don't have to get the southern accent going, you know. <laughs> I wish I had those. <laughs> You know, I'm glad you don't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll. But anyone that this uh, actually came from the book, if you want to request a book, you can email me at uh, d r m e r e j a y at gmail dot com. That's dr mir j at gmail dot com, or you can go to my website. Jameer, J-A-M-E-R-E dot O-R-G, and that's my contact information. You can uh, email me, and I will mail you. I still have some books. I gave away a few books last week, so you, if you want a book, I'm still mailing them all. Why buy our supplies last? You know, it's a very, very powerful book, you know, where you can take your time um, and just read it on your own, you know, and I, I believe it will transform your life. Did you say something, Dorothy? Oh, I'm just... I, the, the weather has got my sinuses going for some reason all of a sudden. No. Only when I want to talk, uh, though, I noticed. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I I, I definitely uh, would exhort people to get the book because it's, like I said, it's it's a lot of nuggets in there that you might miss just reading it over one time and you go back and reread it, it everything falls into place for you. So yeah. Well, I'll guess I'll close out in prayer and again we'll be with you next week and actually next week we'll be wow, we're we're moving pretty fast. Um let's see we'll be in chapter four of the book. And chapter four is knowing your identity. So, I, was, I don't know. I like this. That's a good book, chapter two. <laughs> so, but, it is. Um, it's so important. Hmm? It's so important to know who you are in Christ. Go ahead. Lead us out in prayer, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Father, <laughs> Father, we thank you, Father, for your love, your salvation, your deliverance, your grace and mercy. Um Teach us, Father, how to love you and receive your love, Father. Teach us how to show and express your love, oh, Father. Teach us how to receive your many gifts, Father, Lord, and to understand your word and have a great desire for your word, oh, Father. Father, I pray for all those who are listening, oh, God, Lord, that you will restore them, deliver them, set them free, oh, Father, Lord. Give them revelations, sweet dreams, oh, God, Lord. Heal their bodies and minds from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet, oh, Father. And we uh, please the blood of Jesus over them and everything connected with them, O oh, Father. And um, I thank you, Father, Lord, that you minister to angels, O oh, Father, that you have released on their behalf. I'll find it for, for them, O oh, God, Lord. That's your command, O oh, Father, Lord. And that's your will and that's your word, Father. We can tell the next time, Father, Lord, we stand on your word. We stand on your promises, O oh, Father, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jameer. That was All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> gave us a lot to chew on. I know. I know. I'm trying to <laughs> like I've my kind of sped through, but there was so much stuff in there. Yeah. Like y'all might have to uh, go to SoundCloud or or Vimeo or YouTube and listen to it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so thanks for coming, everybody, and we'll see you next yeah. week. All right, and thank you. And you can find thank out y'all, who you are. Yes. Have a blessed yeah. week. Father Glass, right. good night, Jameer. Good night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.